Welcome back to Learning from a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. I'm here with Matt Christensen and Tim Cox. And today we're going to be discussing the electromagnetic spectrum. <clears throat> For those of you unfamiliar with what that is, so am I. So, um, <laughs> that's not entirely true. I did Google it right before. So we're talking like, um, we're talking about light and the waves of light. And so I'll, uh, I'll ask Matt to explain a little bit about their different ranges of the spectrum. I think we'll probably start there. Matt? All right. So, yeah, the electromagnetic spectrum is quite a bit more than light. Uh, oh, right, because I knew that. Well, no, you didn't, because you're related. Oh, right. So that's why we have this <laughs> podcast. Right. Um, anyway. Uh, oh, the, sorry. Before. I didn't want to. I, I needed to tell Tim to do something. So our, our biggest listener base is in Australia right now. So okay. Tim, I'm gonna I'm gonna need you to yeah uh, Australian accent the whole time. Okay, okay that's uh I'll, I'll uh, put it out. That, that's excellent. I can do that. Uh, uh, in an effort to alienate that listener base. <laughs> well, see that's the trick, Matt. You make them just mad enough that they and all their friends listen in the next time. Okay. <laughs> our our next biggest listener base is in the UK. So Matt, if you could just you know do, give us a bit of a British accent. Charlie, no, good. That idea is bleeding awful. Um, anyway, oh, wait, this is a this is a family this is a family friendly program here, Matt. So. <laughs> oh no, I was I accidentally cut myself just now. That's why. Um, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Back into these like. Also, it should go without saying that Tim will need to stand on his head in order to capture the genuine spirit of Australian conversation, since everything down there is upside down. That's so. right. It can anyway. be done. Blimey. Carl, you should keep all this in, by the way. I know you were like, but <laughs> oh, this is. Oh, I will. <laughs> that good, authentic, you know, layman, layman conversation that right, we're we... loved around the world for. We're starting once again a kind of physics, you know, uh, hard science-related podcast. We got to start with uh, some very layman type of banter. But we really um, need but, to do one all about fun facts about exotic locations that none of us have been to. So, I'm anyway. down. You're down under. Anyway. Down under. <laughs> okay. Okay. Electromagnetic spectrum. I said it's light, and Matt says it's more than light. So please uh, inform me. Okay, so we'll well, be let's on the start by by briefly talking about waves and what electromagnetic waves are. The electromagnetic spectrum is just the continuum of different electromagnetic waves uh, by their different frequency ranges. And going back to what a wave is, a wave is an oscillating field, means it goes up and down, that oscillates at a given frequency and that frequency can be one beat per minute one beat per second one beat per nanosecond it can be uh, anything be be as defined as the this gap between peaks in the wave right yep or and trough it, wherever yep. you're measuring yeah exactly and and your wave has that well it has that wave shape with a peak and then descending down to a trough and rising to another peak and the and, and it does that at a regular interval forever and and that is the the interval between those peaks or between those troughs or, or whatever is the frequency of that wave uh, the electromagnetic spectrum is made up of every wave you can imagine that is an electromagnetic wave at every frequency um, starting with extremely low frequency waves that go between peaks and troughs at about you know one to three cycles per second all the way up to uh, incredibly high frequency gamma rays that have frequencies uh, that are in the 300 exahertz range exahertz meaning that you have 10 times 10 to the 18th power cycles per second wow um, and and when we say hertz that's H-E-R-T-Z. Uh, one hertz is one cycle per second. Um, so, you know, three hertz, three cycles per second, 300 exahertz, 300 times 10 to the 18th cycles per second. 
Um, that's it, it's a bunch. It yeah, is a, a large number. As they say, it hurts a lot. Nobody says that. No. Blimey. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So when we talk about electromagnetic waves, what we're talking about is that peak trough oscillation of an electromagnetic field. And when we say electromagnetic field, we mean an electric field and a magnetic field. Um, if you have a magnetic field, if you if you put a bar magnet on the counter in front of you and dump a bunch of iron filings around it, you'll see the iron filings start to take a, a series of bow-shaped uh, shapes around the different poles of that magnet. And that's a, a way to visualize the magnetic field of that magnet. Um, now, if that magnetic field is to be perturbed and, and an oscillation is put into play, then you, you start to have magnetic waves. And anytime you have a magnetic wave, you have an accompanying electric field wave. And the reverse is true also. You, you cannot have a wave in an electric field or a magnetic field without the other. And that's why they're called electromagnetic waves. No kidding. Right. Okay, so, th so this is neat and interesting and stuff. But all of these electromagnetic waves, they're, they're just different ways for energy to move in different mediums. And the different electromagnetic waves can be used for different purposes. And they start, as I mentioned, at extremely low frequency waves that are... Um, you know, on the order of single digit hertz, one hertz, two hertz, three hertz. And, uh, and with so those ones, we're talking radio waves, right? We're talking waves far below what your standard radio would be, and I'll talk about why in a minute. Okay. And, and they go all the way up to those gamma rays, uh, which you sometimes find in high-end medical equipment, uh, particularly cancer-treating medical equipment. Um, but the the other characteristic of waves that I want to talk about before I go into all of that is uh, is a parameter called wavelength. And the wavelength is related directly to the frequency. All of these electromagnetic waves uh, travel at the speed of light. Now, we talk about the speed of light, but we really mean the speed of electromagnetic wave propagation in vacuum. And that's three times 10 to the eighth meters per second, whatever. Um, so given that they all move at the same speed, if they have different cycles, then you can figure out what the wavelength is based on the, uh, the, the cycles, the frequency. And when I talk about wavelength, I mean the physical distance between uh, two identical points in that wave, between two of the troughs, or between two of the peaks, or between two consecutive midlines, whatever. That's the wavelength. And so if you have a wave that goes through three complete cycles every second, that wave travels, um, you know, three times 10 to the eighth meters in that same second. That means that in that three times 10 to the eighth meters, you have three complete waves. What that really means is that each one of those waves is roughly 100,000 kilometers long. Uh, and when you get up to higher frequency things like the, um, you know, the UHF that you used to find in old televisions, you're in the range where your waves are about one meter long because your frequency is much higher and each wave is shorter. And when you get up to the extremely, extremely high frequency waves, um, the gamma rays and so forth, you have wavelengths that are about the same physical length as the diameter of an atomic nucleus. They're measured in, oh boy, I don't even know, picometers, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so the, the wavelength and the frequency, these are just characteristics of these different waves. And what this means uh, for you practically is that if you want to generate or receive or manipulate any of these waves, your antenna that you use to transmit or generate them has to be has to relate to the wavelength uh, at a certain level 
um, if I want to generate a UHF wave, uh, which has a one meter wavelength, then I need an antenna that's going to be around that order of magnitude. I, I can get away with uh, a, a half meter antenna or a quarter meter antenna or a one meter antenna or whatever. Uh, but if I have a millimeter long antenna, it's going to be pretty difficult for me to pick up a UHF wave. Um, so when we talked about those extremely low frequency waves that operate in the you know one hertz range that have a thousand kilometer wavelength, if I want an antenna that can manipulate those waves, I need an antenna that is kilometers long. And that's totally what the U.S. Navy did because they used extremely low frequency waves to communicate with submarines. And the transmission stations for those waves used two antennas that were each 16 kilometers long. Now, it's a little bit impractical to fit in your car. Um, so nobody else uses ELF, extremely low frequency communication or, or waves. But that's something to consider when you're trying to design your wave-based communication system. So. Hey, I don't know if you're going to plan on getting into this more, but how does an antenna translate those waves into other information? Uh, yeah, we will talk about that a little bit when we talk about um, how to actually use a wave for a constructive purpose and signal modulation and all that stuff. Right. Okay. So, um, But let's just jump through the different... Uh, kind of sections of the electromagnetic spectrum and talk about what they are and what they do. Um, and we'll go from low frequency to high frequency. So, and, and by the way, that means that your wavelength is going in the reverse order. You're going from longest wavelength to shortest wavelength. So, as I mentioned, your lowest frequency waves um, are, are going to be in the section of the spectrum that is broadly termed radio waves. It starts down at extremely low frequency, goes to super low frequency, ultra low frequency, very low frequency, all the way up to extremely high frequency, v, uh, which is EHF. This includes um, most of the waves that we use for communications. Your radio in your car, your, uh, your, your satellite antenna for your TV uh, is going to use uh, super high frequency rate waves uh, on the order of 6 to 8 gigahertz, uh, something like that, uh, all the way up to military satellite communications platforms that have uh, higher frequencies than that. And, and they, they do this for, for different uh, reasons and for, for different applications. All of these radio waves move in the Earth's atmosphere in different ways, or, or rather, they are reflected and deflected in different ways based on their wavelength, based on their frequency. Uh, so I mentioned some of these waves are used to communicate with submarines. Well, the super low frequency waves can actually penetrate pretty far into salt water. Extremely low frequency waves can go down hundreds of meters into the ocean. That's pretty cool. The problem is you need a kilometers long antenna to both generate and receive the signal. That's less cool. Um, and as you go up in frequency, the, those waves start to be attenuated, means their signal gets absorbed more and more by salt water. And when you get past about very low frequency, VLF, where you're at 3,000 cycles per second, it becomes kind of hard to talk to something that's underwater. Uh, now, in the atmosphere, you have different considerations, and waves move, you know, different waves move in different waves. Some of the radio waves will go straight through the atmosphere and out into the void of space forever. And NASA and other people and conspiracy theorists use these to broadcast messages out into the great beyond or look for aliens or maintain communications with interstellar probes or whatever. Uh, and, and all of that depends on the, the wavelength, the frequency of that wave and how it does and doesn't react or be reflected by the different elements in the atmosphere. Um, I mentioned your satellite communications waves are going to be uh, on the order of 
you know, gigahertz, a couple billion cycles per second for their frequency. Well, those frequencies in general go through the atmosphere really well. And they go from your antenna that's on your roof all the way out to the satellite that's floating 40,000 kilometers away and all the way back with very little interference. And that's great. And so you can get your TV signal like that. If you try to use a different wave at a different frequency, it will get absorbed and attenuated. <laughs> so within that spectrum of, of radio waves, that section of the electromagnetic spectrum, you have two kind of subparts. You have what are traditionally called radio waves, and you also have microwaves. Uh, and yes, this is the this is your kitchen appliance that heats up food. Um, but it's a little more than that as well. Uh, when we talk about microwaves, we're talking things that range from, you know, a couple megahertz all the way up to gigahertz. Uh, and, and that includes your, uh, your direct TV and, and things like that, your TV signals of any kind, UHF, VHF, all of those things. That's all microwaves. Interestingly, the kitchen appliance uses microwave radiation, microwave waves, to heat up your food. And it does so because the resonant frequency of water is within that range. And so if you generate an electromagnetic field that matches that water resonant frequency, I, I don't remember what it is offhand. I think it's two gigahertz or something, but I'll have to have some Australian Google that for me. Um, <laughs> Anyway, when you get that resonance, you, you excite those water molecules, and the motion of excited molecules it means heat. That means the water in your food heats up. That means your food heats up. That's how microwaves work. So if you put a brick in the microwave, it's not going to heat up? Uh, no. In fact, if you put an empty mug in the microwave and blast it, does that heat up? I don't know. And I haven't tried. It and that explains why some containers, yeah, a lot of containers, you, you pull them out, they're cool to the touch, but you get yep. some that aren't microwave safe, they heat up. That means their structure is like resonates with the microwave. Is that right? More probably, it means that the structure is thin enough that whatever food you have inside it is heated up, not only the food, but the heat transfers from the food to the container. Uh -huh. Okay. So, if you have a thick food carrying device, you know, like a, a hefty ceramic mug, that's going to give you a little bit more insulation. If you have a thin piece of Tupperware or cheap Tupperware, uh, and it's filled up with, you know, soup, then that's going to transfer the heat from the soup to the container to your delicate fingertips pretty quickly. Um, but that's what your microwave does. It, it works by uh, agitating the molecules within your food because it generates a microwave, a well, microwave wave that resonates with those molecules. And again, that molecular motion is heat. And so it heats it up. Now, back in the day, the old, you know, urban legend that standing near a microwave was dangerous that's not really true, right? Aha, so it totally is true. Depending. What? No. Yeah. Um, and, and so, didn't we... Tell what? me if I'm wrong. Sorry. Didn't we kind of learn about microwaves from, like, birds flying in front of old radar dishes and they blew up? Um, well, I don't know. You don't know? All right. That seems so, pretty brutal, but it would in some ways make sense. So here, here we'll, we'll talk about a lot of this in a minute as we, as we go forward. But yeah, all of these forms of electromagnetic radiation can have different effects on different things, and including living tissues. Um, radio waves in general are pretty benign, unless you're standing directly in front of a dish that's transmitting, you're, you're generally okay when you're talking radio waves. Microwaves, though, I mean, they're, it's high-energy radiation. If you're standing in front of a microwave relay dish, you'll get baked. Now, is your home microwave safe to be near? Yeah, it totally is. Um, 
unless it is poorly made and poorly shielded. And in that case, if if it's leaking microwave radiation, then yeah, that could be a hazard if you were to camp next to it for hours at a time with it running at max power. Uh, no, nobody needs to be afraid of their microwave. Um, there are, are standards that are in place to make sure that microwaves are, are built such that they don't leak. Um, but that's where that legend would have come from, uh, because those same waves that are, are in your microwave can do you harm if you are exposed to a significant enough dose uh, over a significant enough period of time. Uh, one of the parts of waves that we didn't talk about is the amplitude of the wave. That's the distance between the peak and the trough. And how, what that actually means is the power involved in, in that wave. Uh, your microwave in your kitchen is a significant amount of power in order to heat up your food. Uh, the transmitter on a, a large ground-based satellite uplink station has way more power than that in order to generate a signal that will make it out to space and back. Um, that's where you want to be a lot more careful about staying out of the radiation hazard zone because, yeah, that could cause you some 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 issues. Um, but if well, you I'm relieved, but yeah. nevertheless, I am going to move my bed out of the kitchen. Excellent. And away from my microwave then. Yeah, well, and just don't, um, you know, don't don't buy your uh, your microwave from. I mean, microwaves today are, are are pretty safe. The ones that you're going to find manufactured anywhere are pretty good. If if you're you're buying your microwave some, from some guy in a back alley and it's obviously like leaking parts and. <laughs> you know, that, that's maybe where you start to get concerned. But for practical purposes, no, I don't think your consumer has to worry about that. Standard disclaimer, when it comes to microwave appliance safety, I am not an expert. I am just a layman. I am voicing my own opinion. Do not sue us if you get cancer from camping next to your microwave, you idiot. Well, so. That's why the name of the podcast is what it is. It might as well just be you can't sue us. So. We, yeah, the, the full name is actually learn it from a layman who is legally immune from um, your lawsuits. I'll have, to, I'll have to look at the paperwork. Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Anyway, okay. So radio waves and microwaves, um, chiefly used for both of them, are chiefly used for communication uh, and for heating up your leftovers. Um, when you go past that, you start to get into infrared, uh, the infrared portion of the spectrum. And as we all know, this is what uh, allows snakes and maybe velociraptors and the predator to hunt so well. Um, it, is, uh, it is just a portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. And right above infrared, you get into visible light. Light is a type of electromagnetic wave, and it's one that our eyes are designed around in terms of, well, our eyes act as biological antennas for that visible light. Um, this, again, being a type of electromagnetic wave, it travels through things uh, at different levels based on what the thing is. Visible light travels really well through the air. Not all of the radio waves do. Um, visible light does not travel through solid, non-clear materials. Uh, some other waves absolutely travel through solid objects. Uh, it all depends. This is also, why how we can explain the sky is blue, right? The, uh... Uh, kind of, not really. Um, well, what? so... Uh, Kind of. Um, Doesn't have to do with uh, the length, uh, wavelength of uh, of light, and the way that uh, it refracts as it hits the atmosphere. Yes, ish. Um, it, it's it's yeah. Um, the the sky is due because of a phenomenon known as Rayleigh scattering, uh, and and when light hits the upper atmosphere, it it is uh, diffracted by different elements and and. The end result is is you get blue as your predominant shade based on which light is refracted at which angle. 
And you may have noticed, if you have ever been outside in the morning or the evening, that the sky is no longer blue. It turns orange. And that's because at, at those points, the light coming in is being refracted at different angles because the sun is at a different angular position. And so you get more yellows and oranges and reds than you do those, those blues. Um, but as far as what the light itself moves through, uh, I mean, visible light does go through the atmosphere pretty well. That's why you can see stars at night, even though those light sources are, are in, you know, un, unimaginably far away, uh, millions of light years, that light gets all the way through the vacuum of space and all the way through our atmosphere down to us. Uh, the only difference between day and night is that you don't have sunlight and that Rayleigh scattering uh, effectively flooding everything out. With and, and anyway, that, that that's the the next chunk on the electromagnetic spectrum scale or, or continuum. Uh, after that, you go up to um, ultraviolet, which is just beyond what we humans can see, but um, it's it's still a thing. Uh, interestingly, we, we talk about ultraviolet rays coming from the sun. Turns out that the sun generates electromagnetic waves almost continuously through most of the, of the uh, well, just a, an immense amount of the electromagnetic spectrum. The sun generates radio signal, the sun generates visible light, as we know, and the sun generates ultraviolet and beyond. Uh, and, and the bad stuff, fortunately, is blocked out by our atmosphere because our atmosphere absorbs ultraviolet light and x-rays and gamma rays and so forth and those are the next things on the electromagnetic spectrum you have your x-rays your, your hard x-rays and your soft x-rays and then you have your gamma rays and when you get to the gamma ray range you're, you're talking about those uh, exohertz frequencies with wavelengths that are literally uh, comparable to the diameter of an atomic nucleus they're they're that fast and, and that short what are so, hard and soft x-rays sorry i've not never heard of that before so hard x-rays are just higher energy uh, x-rays lower energy x-rays are the soft x-rays um the ones that you get at the hospital that's going to be hard x-rays um that, that's what you use to see inside of things. And you use that because they are so high frequency, they go through stuff really well, like through solid things. Um, now, fortunately, they, they don't get through the, uh, the atmosphere and, and the magnetosphere surrounding Earth. Otherwise, we would be subjected to a constant stream of high-energy X-ray bombardment that would very quickly give us all cancer and we would die um but i say actually the x-rays even the, the ones that you get at the uh, the doctor the dentist already are are a bit of a cancer concern right that's why they put a lead vest on you and in, in the dentist yeah but i mean yes i believe that's camp, over long-term exposure it very much sure. is yes if, if you camp in the x-ray machine with it on yeah you'll start to have some negative effects um you All get right, more I'm moving my bed out of the dentist's office <sighs> you can I, cut that if you want no i think that's important <laughs> so that our listeners know the caliber of, of people we're dealing with they're dealing with <laughs> that's um, right so in in general when you take an airline flight um and and you're cruising along at 30 plus thousand feet there's less atmospheric protection from the cosmic radiation that's constantly coming in and bombarding our planet. And what that means is that you get more X-ray exposure on an airliner than you do actually getting an X-ray at the hospital. Uh, so you're fine. Wow. Assuming that you don't literally camp in the machine. Now, is it still a good idea to put on the lead vest and stuff? Yeah, I mean, you might as well take the precautions. And no, you do not need to wear that same lead vest the next time you fly on an airliner. Uh, but the risk is 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 low enough that is, as long as you're being reasonable, 
and not getting a million x-rays a year, you should be fine. Now, would the, I, I mean, you said the, the hard x-rays and the, the soft x-rays, is that the difference? The, the uh, hard x-rays you get at the hospital, but if you're flying, you're exposed to x-ray radiation, but wouldn't that be of a lower power? Well, that- I mean, um, I, I don't know that when you're flying, you're getting hard or soft x-rays. I imagine you're getting both. But yeah, the soft x-rays are the the lower frequency, lower energy levels. Um, they're also uh, a little bit better absorbed in the air, I guess. Um, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on hard and soft x-rays. I'm sorry. Okay. So that's what we're right. saying just, is maybe our pilots should be wearing the lead vest. That's what I was going to say. Like if if I'm a pilot or a flight attendant, I would imagine that that if that were the case, that I would have a very severe cancer risk. Uh, no, you would not have a severe cancer risk. Um, I, again, people have have done studies on on what your total radiation doses are. Uh, based on on where you are and what you do, and, and airline pilots and nuclear engineers, while you might see more than your average Joe, maybe uh, it's still below thresholds where you need to be reasonably concerned. Okay, so Tim can move his bed back into the dentist's office. So well, unless I wouldn't I'm say the dentist's office, but a... he can move it back into the airliner. Oh, <laughs> I just love falling asleep to the sound of two giant engines. So unless I'm sucking on a plutonium rod, I'm probably going to be okay. We're talking about different radiation, though, with, with that. And, and that was weirdly phrased. Carl, you should definitely edit that out. Anyway. <laughs> Carl, you need to make also like a, um, a blooper reel of all the times you say, edit that out. Well, yeah. maybe. Just like pack it all into like 60 seconds. All right, so hey, Cameron, you you had looked up the microwave frequencies. What so was that I, again? I did look at the microwave frequency. Thank goodness for our wonderful search engines. Um, it says microwaves operate on a. Uh, gosh, let me double check that I make sure I say it correctly. Um, yes, microwaves work on a frequency of 2.5 gigahertz. Um, Water is actually, its frequency is actually higher than that, but they use a lower frequency so it penetrates deeper into, in the microwave, into dishes and stuff. So they're using a lower frequency to do a deeper heat, which is kind of what you were talking about with the wavelength. So at a higher frequency, it's not going to go as deep into things. So oh, Cool, thank you. One of the things um, that you may notice if you have a satellite communications dish, depending on the company and depending on the frequency that they uh, operate at for your, your satellite TV, uh, you may notice that your signal is significantly degraded during a rainstorm or, or when there's snow or when there's any kind of significant amount of water in the atmosphere. Uh, because water, again, with its resonant frequencies... Uh, can really interfere with the way that those electromagnetic waves are able to propagate and and move through the atmosphere. Um, anyway, can I ask, yeah. sorry, can I ask real quick? Why do high frequency waves travel through solid matter and such better than low frequency waves? Like what's going on at the atomic level or whatever that makes that happen? Uh, I don't know, and, and different materials are more and less opaque to different types of waves. Uh, and I mentioned that the ultra-low frequency waves, um, not even ultra-low frequency, uh, lower than that, um, ultra-low frequency is actually a named band of, of the spectrum, but the uh, the lowest frequency That's waves... That's a great name for a band, sorry. Yes, it is. Not band name, named band, Tim. <laughs> Dang it. Whatever. Anyway, the lowest frequency waves can, you know, they can penetrate salt water. That's pretty cool. Um, and and there's not, I mean, visible light, which is um, significantly higher frequency, doesn't do that as well to the same depth. Uh, you can get a the the lowest frequency radio waves down to hundreds of meters uh, below the ocean surface. You can't do that with visible light. Um, 
Now, now that said, uh, gamma ray can go through pretty much anything. Um, that's one of the great uh, causes of 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 death and and destruction uh, that accompanies a nuclear event. Uh, when a nuclear bomb goes off, it releases a, a large amount of radiation. Obviously, there's a large amount of visible light with the giant flash. Um, there is uh, a large amount of, of uh, well, just everything um, of heat and, and, and pressure and force. But there is also a, a phenomenal amount of gamma radiation. And the gamma radiation just goes through everything. You need feet of concrete to protect you from gamma radiation, and it's incredibly deadly uh, to to living tissues. It it will uh, will kill you very quickly. Okay, um, fact check here. If I am near an explosion and I put myself into an old school 1950s era fridge refrigerator, that yeah. will not protect me. Yeah, according to a recent documentary that I saw, you will be fine. And in fact, that 1950s era fridge, because it has inertial dampening mechanisms and, and, and uh, cushioning <laughs> systems, will protect you even from the physical jarring that comes when it's hurled. Uh, oh, never mind. Um, yes. Yeah, un unless you are Harrison Ford or, his, or Shia LaBeouf, I guess. Uh, yeah, the fridge isn't going to help you very much. Good Why did you even bring up that movie? It's easy. it's better for the world if we pretend that one doesn't exist. <laughs> They're making another. Uh, what could go wrong? A number of things. Anyway, uh, so that that's the different chunks of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, should we talk about how you actually use it to do uh, to transmit information? Yeah, I think that's what's most interesting to me. And as the resident layman, I think I get to determine what's useful. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> layman, snob. Yeah, going a little bit mad with power there. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let, let's step back and look at very basic Morse code. Morse code works because you have a, a way to send a electromagnetic pulse at a given rhythm and the rhythm that you send that pulse at is is according to a code a key that you have created and you have a copy of that key and you use that to generate a number of pulses beep 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 and so forth and you give someone at the other end that same key and they can see how those pulses have come in they can determine the amount and length of the beeps, and they can use that key to reconstruct the information that you are trying to send. So, Tim, get your bed out of the kitchen away from the microwave. That you would translate that message into a series of electromagnetic pulses, short beeps and long beeps. And that is and how Morse code works. Bleepity bleeps, just for good measure. Well, yeah, except this is family friendly, so we don't do that. Oh, my bleeding finger. All right. Okay. That's, that's we've really. Uh, my I, literal bleeding, literally bleeding finger. I'm going to have to put like a parental advisory on this uh, episode in, uh, in the UK. So. Yeah, only in the Commonwealth <laughs> countries. Uh, we who speak the president's English, don't worry about these things. <laughs> Jolly um, good. Yeah, it's going to be huge, bigly. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. So um, you're, you're, you have your code and you, your key to your code. And if you have the code and the person on the other end has the code, then you can manipulate those electromagnetic pulses uh, or those electric pulses through that wire, through your key tapping, uh, to send a message. Now, it turns out I can use radio waves the exact same way. And, and I don't necessarily use Morse code but I can manipulate those waves in a given and predictable manner. And then if I tell you how I'm going to manipulate them and I give you the key to the code, then you can look at that wave as it comes in. You can see how it is twisted and contorted and changed. And you can reconstruct the information that I'm trying to convey to you based on how I have manipulated my wave. 
And the term that we use for that is modulation. Uh, that's that's the, the word of the day. Modulation is the, uh, the, the act of manipulating a wave according to some information code that you have and that your recipient has. Um, you can modulate an electromagnetic wave in a number of ways. Uh, the ones that you're familiar with, even if you didn't realize it, are AM and FM. And that stands for amplitude modulation and frequency modulation. Amplitude modulation is simply adding power to your wave, increasing its amplitude, or taking power away from your wave, decreasing its amplitude, according to a preset code. So if I tell you that the letter A is going to be two big peaks followed by two short peaks, uh, then I can send you the letter A based on how I modulate the amplitude of my wave. Uh, to make it even easier, I can just go binary with it, and I can send you a stream of ones and zeros based on where, or based on how I have changed the amplitude of my wave. And from that, I can very qu quickly construct any information you can imagine that, that you can pull out of binary or, or, or whatever. Uh, frequency modulation is, FM, is just changing the frequency by a little bit. Um, if, if you look at your FM radio that maybe people still have in their cars, I don't know, um, you dial up a radio station at a certain frequency, 97 point whatever FM, right? Well, it's not exactly 97.5. It's actually 97.45 to 97.55 or something like that. And anywhere in that range, that radio station is generating a radio wave. And if it's at 97.45 hertz, then that corresponds to a certain bit of information or a certain tone or a certain noise, uh, whatever. If the frequency moves to 97.46 or 97 point, you know, point whatever, then that corresponds to a different chunk of information. And your signal moves between those different frequencies far faster than a human can process, but your radio picks it up and your radio responds accordingly because the transmitter has the code and your receiver has the code and you can get the information that that transmitter is sending based on how they have modulated that wave using frequency modulation. Uh, the other one that we use a lot, uh, especially in digital communications, is um, phase modulation. Uh, if you think of the wave going up and down in that uh, kind of serene pattern of waviness, what if instead of going up and down smoothly, when I get to the top, I break the wave and I flip it so that I'm suddenly, in the very next instant, I'm now at the bottom. I'm at a trough. I go peak to trough instantaneously, and then my wave continues. Well, when we do that, we call that shifting the phase. Um, and, and, and a shift in phase like that can be used to convey information. If I tell you that Anytime I shift the phase like that, it's going to be a one. Anytime I don't shift the phase, it's going to be a zero. Suddenly, I have a very simple code that allows me to stream ones and zeros to you all day long. I do not physically pack a one onto the wave. I can't do that. A one is not a thing that I can imprint onto a beam of light. But I can change the beam of light in such a way that I tell you how I'm changing it, and you know that the change represents a one, and a different change will represent a zero. Uh, that's modulation, and those are the three basic types, and that is how we express information by using electromagnetic waves. Hey, so, okay, so a question about that. Uh, yeah. The, so we used to use analog frequency on the TV. Yep. If you wanted to, previously it was analog frequency, and now you have digital channels. Yep. So what is the, uh, what's the change in, in, in technology there, and how does that w relate to the waves? 
Uh, I would be going, when we talk about the internals of a radio, I'd be going out of my depth. I don't know. Um, okay. But what, really, when we talk about the difference between analog and digital, we're just at the, the very basic fundamental level. We're talking about changes in what the modulation represents. So an analog signal, uh, if I modulate it, and it's a, you know an old school VHF color TV signal, the, the change is going to be a continuous change, that means analog, and it's going to represent different colors of pixel for my screen. And it's going to represent different tones that will come out of my speaker. Um, and, and it's, it is, uh, you know, your, your TV has the, the gear inside to look at the waves that come in and how they are modulated and say, it is approximately this color and this sound that I should now be generating. Uh, and, and, you know, that's analog. When we go to digital, instead of doing, you know, approximately this or approximately that, we're now doing ones and zeros. And, and we then use a, another chunk of equipment to translate the ones and zeros to a very specific pixel pattern or, or digital sound or, or whatever. Um, and, and it's just, you know, there's a difference in the images or the sounds that you can get out of that. There's, there's differences in the types of information that you can represent. Digital communication is going to be more precise, right. uh, but it's not necessarily as perfectly accurate. Um, if, if I want to represent a color perfectly to you, uh, an analog signal may be able to get the uh, a color to be as accurate even if the signal is not as precise as a digital signal a digital signal will be extremely precise but because digital signals are are they represent discrete amounts of information rather than or, or discrete continuums of information rather than continuous continuums of information you may not be able to get the exact uh, representation of whatever it is that you're trying to represent. I, I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I think so. I, I, what I understand you saying is I should watch all my videos on VCR. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> is That's yeah. an analog sing, uh, signal, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's so it's that's... reading uh, analog signals off a magnetic tape. Right. Um, so and generally so... that's going to have... I mean, obviously, and, in practice, it doesn't have any real benefit over um, the, the DVD or Blu-ray that we have nowadays. But there, in, theor in theory, there are potentially ways and that could be more true to the original content than the, uh, than the digital version. Is that true? Yeah, in theory. Well, and, and the one place where this practically comes into play and people can claim that they, they can tell a difference is when you look at uh, a record, the, yeah, records, the vinyl records, right. uh, audiophiles who are much more gifted than I am in terms of of hearing, will tell you that a that that music or or sound produced from a vinyl record has a feel or a depth to it that you don't get even from the highest end digital systems. Um, now. Me being a layman when it comes to uh, audio stuff, I don't notice the difference. Uh, and, and the digital systems are so good that I think most humans don't notice the dis difference. Um, but an audiophile will punch me in the face and tell you me that I'm all the way wrong there. And at, at a technical level, they're correct. Because a digital system cannot replicate... Uh, d digital systems use steps. They use discrete amounts of information. They go from uh, one specific point frequency to another specific point frequency, and they skip what is in between. An analog system will not do that. It can, depending on the class of equipment and, and how precise it is, it can nearly perfectly replicate uh, a signal or a sound. Um, a digital system can do an exceptionally good approximation. 
And a digital system, in many cases, will produce a superior signal when you take into account other environmental factors like interference and attenuation and so forth. Um, a, a digital signal will often be more robust. Um, but yes, if you want that true you know, listening experience, for example, that analog signal can, can get you a level of accuracy, if not precision, that you don't get with a digital system. However, both digital and analog signals, they're all modulated uh, to, to some extent in some way according to some sort of code. And, and the generator has the code, the receiver has the code uh, for a record, the code is bumps, grooves, whatever it is, and your, your record player reads that and generates the appropriate sound. For your CD player, it's little, you know, the, the it's it's on, it's it's just the information, the the bumps embedded into that layer of your CD, and the little laser reads those bumps, goes that's a one, that's a zero, that's a one, that's a zero. According to my little chart, that sequence of ones and zeros means I should play an A flat, and it generates an A flat, or or whatever. Um, right. Anyway, that's a that's kind of the a very basic intro to information coding, um, and you can do this with all manner of things. But if you want to transmit that information, you can do it with electromagnetic waves. We use radio waves for that. We use microwaves for that. We even use visible light for that um, with laser communications, where you point a laser at a receiver. And you turn your laser on and off according to a pattern, just like Morse code. And depending on how you do that, you can very quickly convey a large amount of information. Um, you can you can do this with almost anything. Useful. Um, obviously, given that we've uh, figured out how to use that across the board now in so many different ways. So, so cell phones, I guess, uh, maybe we can wrap up the uh, podcast here shortly, but... Cell phones use digital signals as well, but what what kind of uh, they're not using radio waves, are they? Or what, well, they very what? much are. Yeah, okay. they're down in the jeez, uh, I don't know, a um, couple gigahertz uh, band. I'd I'd have to look it up. Um, okay. But yeah, it's uh, it's and and we could go into uh, some other things that I I don't actually want to go into. Um, okay. But uh, cell phones just use radio signals. Um, a, a quick Google search as I'm talking, it looks they're in the hundreds of, of megahertz to single-digit gigahertz, maybe, I guess. I don't know. Um, but you could look that up. Right. Um, but all they are is taking those radio waves and manipulating them according to different uh, those, those different constructs that I've talked about. Um, hey, and maybe this goes beyond the, the scope of electromagnetic spectrum discussion in general, but so, I mean, we all have cell phones, right? And if they're broadcast, broadcasting using radio waves, shouldn't anyone's phone be able to pick up my cell, my, my cell conversation? Uh, okay. Um, at a physical level, yes, totally can. Um, yeah, uh, the thing is that fortunately your cell phone has the code that the cell phone carrier has established to tell a cell phone when it is getting a signal. So when when a sig when a call goes out, it's coded. Uh, part of the message that is transmitted is a code that tells which cell phone to wake up and receive it. Uh, each cell phone has a, a, a specific um, carrier or user identification thing in it somehow, whether it's a SIM card or, or some other method. The different companies use different things. But part of that modulated signal that is being broadcast by every cell phone caller to every other cell tower in the Anyway, all of those... All of those cell phone calls that are going out and are being re-reflected through the towers, they all have the appropriate information 
to tell which phone to wake up and receive the call. Uh, and then once that connection is made, you know, the you, you send your modulated signal, you receive your modulated signal, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, at a physical level, yes, your cell phone has the appropriate antenna and processing hardware to pick up every cell phone call all around you. It right. won't wake up because as it's receiving those signals, it's looking at that coded modulated message and going, nope, that's not for me. Nope, that's not for me. Oh, this one is from Tim. And then you hit ignore because you're a bad person. <laughs> but anyway. So, I mean, conceivably, then you, uh, I mean, it could be hacked, right? Encoded information can generally be decoded by someone if they want that to be decoded badly enough. I mean, theoretically, sure. And in fact, if I walk around with a, um, a, a very expensive piece of equipment called a spectrum analyzer and a very basic antenna, I can see every signal in the electromagnetic spectrum ranging from, you know, zero megahertz all the way up to 20, 30, 40 gigahertz. And I can see where those signals are. And then if I have the appropriate processing equipment, I can plug that into my antenna and I can receive that signal. And then if I have the appropriate codes, and I probably don't, yeah, I could get the information out of that. Thing is, though, the cell phone companies know that and their codes are proprietary and you're not going to break them. You just aren't. Um, and if you do, I will be very surprised. Uh, so, yeah, you're I mean. Yeah, it's, I'm not it's just not trying something to birth that... conspiracy theories or give fodder to those that are hyper um, uh, sensitive to someone listening in. But uh, I mean, just the <laughs> idea that, that yeah. it is broadcasted and yeah, but I mean, sure. like you any, said, any it's... wireless, uh, you know, the Wi-Fi that your computer uses that you plug into at the, um, you know, if, if you go down to the, the Dunkin Donuts or the Starbucks or wherever it is that you go to use the free Wi-Fi. Um, all of that's using radio or electromagnetic waves. All of that is being broadcast to the entire, well, coffee shop, I guess. And all of that could be received. But practically, should you worry about that? Well, no, not really. Um, because you have a specific code that is unique to you uh, that establishes that communication for you. And take basic precautions. You know, don't, don't do banking at the coffee shop. That is a bad idea. But um, I mean, yeah, web protocols I, and those oh. types of things also help. I mean, they they mm -hmm. provide another layer of uh, encryption and and those types of yeah, and, and having features. having a VPN and so forth. But yeah, if if you have the right equipment, you can see all of these different waves in the spectrum. Now it is a whole nother step entirely that is well beyond the capacity of of anyone to be able to get into decoding those signals unless they have the appropriate keys. Uh, but yeah, you can definitely, with the right equipment, see what the signal or, or the frequencies that the signals are at. You just may not be able to read them. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I think that's uh, a good way to, to wrap the podcast up unless you have other information you wanted to share with us. Uh, no, I, I think I'm... Good. In, in, anything else is is information for which I'm not going to give you the appropriate code. So, <laughs> I'm so sad now that all my TV and movies have lied to me. Oh, what about? That people just can't randomly pick up and listen to my cell phone call. Oh. <laughs> That's right. I mean, or my baby monitor you... works on the walkie-talkie. So, I mean... That was something that uh, you could get in the old days when people actually used walkie-talkies. Um, you would pick up other people's signals and other conversations if you were on the walkie-talkie. Because um, those weren't encoded specifically. Those were just ge generic encoding for like anyone listening. Yeah. It's a public key type of situation. Yep. Some people were – well, not even a public key. It's not encrypted no, at okay. all. It's okay. just um, – you know, here, here's basic uh, FM or, or AM radio and, and anything with a basic FM or AM or whatever it was 
uh, modulator could pick it up. You know, people used to be able to listen in on the police bands. Uh, maybe you can still do that. I don't know. Um, ham radio operators, uh, as their hobby, they rely on being able to pick up any signal from anyone, anywhere. And, you know, they just talk to each other all over the world. And that's and fine. Ham, ham stands for high amplitude modulation? Or what is do you know? Uh, I, don't know? I don't actually know what ham stands well, for. Well, okay. Then we should just ask our uh, listeners to let us know what that means. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there then. Uh, so thanks, Matt, for the instructive podcast. And Tim for the inane comments. And Cameron for some instruction. <laughs> Cameron's <laughs> for some research. And uh, we'll uh, invite, invite you guys to come back and listen to our next podcast. Uh, I believe we're going to talk about translation in our next podcast. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned to this electromagnetic spectrum of podcasts.